There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 17, The Journalist. In episode 16, we established that David Charles Lovett was almost certainly alive after the gentleman was found, and therefore we could rule him out. But then we found ourselves immersed in another crime, another crime involving a very tall man, but this time on the other side of the English Channel, in the Brabant Walloon region of Belgium, where... In the early to mid-1980s, a gang had terrorised the country, killing 28 people in robberies of appalling violence, but yielding ridiculously small proceeds for the violence used by the perpetrators. The gang had consisted of three members, the killer, the old man and the giant, and they seemed to operate in two separate phases, but together those men were known as the Brabant Killers. Now, anyone of extreme height who is involved in serious crime around the time that the gentleman was alive is of interest to us. But we needed to know a lot more. So Magdalena contacted a man called Douglas de Conning. He's a senior crime journalist with De Morgan, a Flemish newspaper published in Antwerp in Belgium, who's been covering the story of the Brabant Killers for over 20 years. So if we wanted to know more about this giant and this gang, Douglas de Conning would know. We are very pleased to be able to welcome to the podcast Douglas de Conning from Belgium. He's a reporter with De Morgan newspaper, and he's been working over the course of the last 20 years, really, on this Brabant killer case. So I've got Ian with me and Magdalena with me as well. And we just want to learn a little bit more about that investigation. Now, obviously, we've been through the basic information about that case. But we're particularly interested, Douglas, in mm -hmm. the giant. And so I was hoping initially you could just give me give me some indications from your work of what you know so far about the giant, that key member of the gang. Okay, uh, we need to go back to the 7th October of 1983. Um, until then, we don't know, really, we know that there is a gang with very specific way of handling. Um, they use a lot of excessive violence. And on this evening of the 7th October 1983, they commit an attack on the, the Les supermarkets in Beersel, that's near Brussels. 
uh, it's one of the, those typical uh, de Brabant Wallon case. That's that's how we call him. We, we use the French expression. They, they try to get as much money as they, they get in the shortest period as possible. And there's a director of the supermarket, Freddy Vermalen. He just shows up wondering what's happening here. And he gets killed by, by, by a bullet, by a few, several bullets at, on the spot. After this killing, after this attack, uh, during the police investigation, um, there's one of the women working in the, in the supermarket. She was behind the desk. Everybody knows that one of the three persons uh, of the gang is extremely tall. On this particular case, they um, this woman, as soon as she sees the three guys uh, heavily armed um, entering the, the supermarket, she falls on the floor um, and she watches uh, behind, uh, she hides herself behind the shop rack. Mm-hmm. After the attack the next day, when the police um, is doing this investigation, they um, they put her back on the, on the spot where she was. They um, take a wire. They go, the wire goes from her eyes to the giant, and they measure. I don't think it's very, very accurate, but their measurements uh, end up with a guy um, 6.6 feet. A few years ago, like we are in the 80s and the 90s, and on those days, a person of more than with these measurements is, is extremely um, special. Yeah. yeah, they are extremely rare. And... This mm-hmm. is one of the things that makes your case, if I can put it that way, and our case correspond because we are looking for someone aged around 50 who dies in 1993 who is six foot six, six foot five or six foot six. And mm-hmm. you're, you've got someone of exactly the same height or very similar height involved in a series of extraordinarily violent murders. Mm-hmm. 10 years before. One of the things that always intrigued to me about this is that there's a gap in the activities of this gang. So they're very active in 1982, 1983. There's a gap in 1984. Then they're very busy again in 1985 and extremely violent in the second phase. Mm-hmm. Was the giants in both of those gangs uh, what i'm really asking is is the giant active in both of those phases of the gang's activities mm, it's very difficult to speculate on that but um, a general assumption amongst reporters of my age working on this case for so many years we we have um, a belief it can be wrong that um 1985 killings are some kind of copycats of the 1982 1983 killings but the big difference between the first and the second is that the second um isn't interested in money they just want to kill as many people as they can um their motives are unclear they they they, they take they take uh, coins from the supermarkets but they they don't seem to be interested in the biggest bank marks which is extremely uh strange potentially there douglas Sorry. there are there are two giants if that's a copycat gang mm-hmm. so there was another there was a giant in 1985 yeah but if it's not the first lot then there's a second well, giant it was, potentially. It was uh, smaller okay so so just to be clear on that 
the giant in the first gang and the giant mm -hmm. in the second gang may not be the same person. And the second one is believed to be slightly shorter than the first one. Yeah. There are other reasons to believe that. Um, you, you must know the theory de Brabant Wallon, the link between all these killings is, is bullets, is um, ballistic right. investigation. Um, but we, we know from, from the first gang, we know pretty sure, we, we know the first uh, killer, of the first guy who shot, who was part of the theory de Brabant Wallon. We know who he is. This was Bruno van Duren. He um, he ended up in jail after the first uh, gang attack. He, he he got free in 1987, and within the day he was killed. If I listen to your story, and we have a guy uh, ending up in the, in the North Sea by 1994, I think it would be uh, at least worded to 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 draw a profile of someone who spent several years in jail, um, got free in the early 90s or, or something, but he wouldn't be the first one to be killed immediately after release. Let's put it this way. You mentioned before, Douglas, that there's a reason why these guys are in jail when they come out, that they are then targeted by the rest of the underworld because they made one um, fatal error, didn't they? They made several fatal errors, They, um, but that was only in 1985. In 1983, they acted as a normal criminal gang. In 1985, the Tuerie de Brabant Wallon um, shot on kids, which is absolutely not, which is an absolute no-go among gangsters uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, second rule, you don't shoot at the police, because if you shoot at the police, you, you don't get 10 policemen, but thousands of policemen uh, behind you. Uh, these are simple, elementary uh, criminal laws that are violated. Makes them targets when they come out. Yeah, but um, I think we, we interviewed not just me, Judge, a lot of my colleagues, we interviewed a lot of former gangsters, um, it was a small world, Brussels uh, or Belgium, the, the criminals in Belgium in the 80s, it, everybody knew each other. And most of the classical gangster we spoke, they all said, um, we just want to put money on the table to, to get these people um, delivered at the police because uh, they're harming our business, so to say. The original gang, the gang that, who were active in the in 1982, 1983, which featured mm -hmm. an extremely tall yep. giant man. We know that one of those gang members, and this is a gang which is doing more classical mm -hmm. criminal activity, where the second one seems to be completely different set of motivations. But in the in the so first. In the first iteration, the first phase of this, one of the members of that first phase goes to prison, presumably for something else, comes out of prison and is killed. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we're potentially saying here, and we're speculating, but if this very tall man, the giant, and is our man in Heligoland, he may have been in prison also for something completely unrelated for maybe longer, for 10 years, comes out and potentially could be killed and disposed of because that's happened to one of the other people who are in yep. that gang. 
Is is that is that feasible? Is it is it possible? Well, um, of course, we had some talks before we do this. Um, we, we spoke each other um, last week. Well, first thing I did um, after that was calling investigators who have been working on the Durie de Brabant Wallon. I spoke to the leading investigators between 1995 and 2011. I told, I spoke to them about your podcast and about this this body in the North Sea with these extreme measurements. I said, I guess you ever have made a phone call to your German colleagues and tried to find out if there's something related, but he had never heard of uh, of your guy. I had to reach the the, the, the judge who's leading this investigation today, she wasn't there. I uh, did some phone calls with lawyers who are very close on, on the file. No one ever um, suggested to take a look at the possible link between your guy and the man who was described in Beersel in the 7 October 1983 by this, uh, this woman in, in the supermarket. I guess because it was a decade apart, uh, but also because... As we know, with all the other work we do, police forces aren't always the best at sharing that type of information. But clearly, someone of that height, of that age, are extremely rare. Now, just one thing, just to come back to about the age. Was there any indication given of how old the man, the giant, in the first phase of this gang was? Was there any idea of ages that any of the witnesses Reported. It's pure based on memory, but I thought it was uh, mid thirties um, or forties. Uh, don't forget that what made this gang a bit special that's that they, they wore makeup. They were, were masks or makeup, though, so it's very difficult to, to to give a hint. Right, but but the indication is they're not in their teens. They're they're they're, they're mature men at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what's what 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 we hear. Okay, okay. Which again, if we add another ten years onto that, we mm-hmm. become close to the age that we know the man found off Heligoland was. Now, I, a couple of other things. This is a political scandal in Belgium. This is something that has never gone away. What has the police? What have the police been doing in terms of trying to identify the giants? and the other members of that gang in more recent times? Is, is it still a very active investigation? Um, if I tell you that they have been, the last two years have been digging up 500 um, men to for ADN comparisons. For DNA? It's 500 comparison. men. They went to, wherever they, they could, they went to, to, to dig up former gangsters. If they were tall, they were... Uh, that big, there was a big reason to to dig them up and to 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 do the ADN the DNA um, comparison. And there's a picture. I've seen a photograph. Yeah. Of this giant. Can you give us give me some indication of where that came from and how that was how that came into into being? Um, this is a this is a picture of a guy during um, a military training camp. Um, somewhere in the north of, of Belgium. Um, this must have been in early 80s, I think 1982. Um, at a certain moment, we had um, we were in the middle of Cold War, 
And at a certain moment, we have an organization in Belgium, it's called Westland New Post. It's um, one of the chiefs is called Michel Iber. He's um, a giant as well. He's like uh, six plus something. He's really very tall. Uh, the only reason why we can't link him to the Tuerie de Brabant Wallon is that for the most part of where this giant uh, was seen, he was in jail. Reason why he was in jail was because the activities of Westland New Post, this was a far right um, movement, um, getting as far as they understood, getting orders from from people close to the CIA. They had to do some killings. They had to do some some. Uh, they, had, they received orders. They were all young policemen, young young military with with extreme, uh, yeah, maybe Nazist ideas. They were, there is stay behind. There is what's called a stay behind. It's completely in, in the in the atmosphere of stay behind. Yeah, but yeah. at a certain moment, this Michel Iber, who was in jail and had an idea of uh, this is not fair. I'm I'm treated as a kind of criminal while I was serving the interest of the Belgian state. So at a certain moment, he cooperated as much as he could with um, the investigation to the Tuerie de Brabant Wallon. And he says that during his activities, um, that, that one day, but it's not, not quite clear when, that someone gave him this picture saying, this is the giant of the two So he, he gave that's... this picture to the, to the leading judge at that moment. And so many years later, there are new investigators. I don't know what their motives are, but for some reason, they decided to, to let the pub to, to go public with this picture. Right, and it's a really interesting picture, and it's a picture that we discussed a little bit earlier in this podcast, which we'll put on, uh, we'll put on our Facebook page, which has got indicators that if he is that giant, that again ties him into the gentleman of Heligoland, because there are some similarities in relation to the asymmetry of his face, mm-hmm. which is again is a really interesting point of connection between these two cases. Uh, I, I remembered in our conversations last week, we, we talked about one of the tactics or one of the investigative tools that the police used was to try to create a list of all all the known tall people who were involved in criminal activity. They kind of developed a list of giants. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and I'm just interested about that and how, how that came about and what work was done to try to eliminate some of those giants? Well, they, um, I think they handled in kind of panic because um, in this, the documents we're talking about is made after the last attack of the Tuerie de Brabant which was the most uh, bloodiest. There were eight people killed. There was a 14 year old girl who was shot from, from really close. I was 17 in those days. Um, I remember that. Was like we relieved, we were all terrorized, and so this was a moment when police really said, "Now every guy who has a certain uh, hate needs to be arrested immediately." Wow, that's where the list comes from. But there are names on the lists. The first one, if my memory is well, um, they found him in his home. Uh, mm-hmm. They observed him. They saw him uh, bringing his daughter to school. He just had completely disappeared out of the, uh, the criminal world. He was just a 
a normal guy having a marriage and kids and uh, but even this guy was arrested just because he was he was so tall there are not there is another nationalist Heinrich Thumann Jans of which many believe that he he was he was dead since 1979 but uh, it right. it, it shows you the state of how desperate they were at that moment how many of the giants did they track down all of them did they get through the whole list yeah all of them and were all of them taken away in terms of in the sense of they all had alibis they were all proved not to have been involved with with the uh with the brabant case at all uh as far yeah just it was uh, just uh, the last one heinrich tumanians he um yeah since we suppose that he was he's, he's he was dead already um of course they didn't find him so the only one they didn't find the only one that's unaccounted for is a man called heinrich tumanians yeah interesting interesting so where are things today in this case with uh the investigation how are your investigations moving forward on this and how are the police investigations moving forward on this yeah um i don't know where the investigation is i know they they use modern tech tactics they uh they have created a um a fake tv production uh, company uh offering money to former gangsters doing interviews hoping that one of these gangsters will say something but uh no result as far as we know on the other hand amongst um journalists lawyers working on this case for so many years uh we have a growing belief that there was not just one uh gang they did so many different things they executed people they stole arms they stole um uh, they stole military equipments and they attacked supermarkets but the only link between all those facts are, are guns and ballistics so because there's an, there's an what we believe is that um since ballistics were the only real scientific way of solving crimes back in the 80s that mm. um the assumption that this is all one gang with three or four members is not a good it's not a good one so just to be clear on that the reason they link these two things through the ballistics is that because the bullets and the guns were the same or or but, were they just of a similar type or or how, how exact is that link it's very complicated we talk about okay. i think uh, in total 20 uh pieces of 20 arms 20 pistols and guns and uh, mm -hmm. one will appear in 1982 will come back in 1985 one will be um just once in 1983 and then in 1982 it's it's a very complicated puzzle it's not just like three guns having having been shooting during all the the attacks no it's it's a very complicated puzzle and there's but even what... uncertainties because some some of these some of these conclusions are are contested by other experts okay interesting and, we had, and on the other hand that? we had other crimes who who appeared to be to be part of the, the Brabant Wallon gang um and they excluded them from the lists just because of there were different different guns and that's if you look at that with uh with, with a bit of logic thinking it's not logic 
You can, you can, so again, there could be other crimes. Perfectly, can perfectly buy a new gun and throw it away after after the, after the, the murder. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, so there may be other crimes that aren't listed amongst the crimes of this gang, which were perpetrated by them. I think so, yeah. And it's not just my belief, it's also also the belief of uh, uh, one uh, now retired policeman who was, um, who was the first, the first they wanted to kill. They attacked yeah. him at home at night. He survived because he, um, because his daughter knew where dad's gun was, and so he could shoot back. But this guy, he he appears in public often, and he says he starts his um, performance by saying, "I consider myself as the first victim of the Tuguerie de, Bra de Brabant Wallon gang." Bring this to a conclusion. Obviously, in order for the man, the gentleman of Heligoland, to be in any way connected, really, with with the giants involved in these terrible crimes in, in Belgium, he would have had to have been thrown in the sea 10 years later and made his way to Heligoland. Now, the natural tidal currents will definitely take him to Heligoland if yep. he's put in the sea near Belgium. But is there any connection with the Belgian coast in this in this case uh because it kind of requires this person to have been deposited in the sea it, i mean uh, is the coastal area of of belgium where any of this activity was taking place or where any of this uh these cri these criminal activities or criminal groups tended to come from um i spoke to to you earlier about bruno van der this was the first he uh, he took part in the first attack of the Brabant Wallon gang. They say it's the Brabant Wallon gang, but the only link is, is bullets. As far as we know, this guy was in his 20s on those days. They just said, hey, you can you can get some money if you participate with two others to an attack on uh, an armory uh, an armory shop. So he said, yes, he, he did. He ended up in jail for other reasons. He was released in 1987. Um, a few days later, he was shot in Ostend, like a, a one-minute walk from the North Sea. Okay. Is that because he was from Ostend or because he happened to be in Ostend? He happened to be in Ostend because um, just after he released, the first thing he did was um, doing an attack on a, on a jewelry shop in Brussels. And he found a guy who wanted to, to buy the jewels uh, and who appeared to be in Ostend, but if this is if this is all true, we don't know because all even this murder is is unsolved. It's another on the list of uh, questionable. My belief would be that uh, he was a very dangerous um, dangerous person because he was was very young, uh, very impulsive. Um, he had to. He had to die. That, 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 that was. That was clear. Was he killed by criminals? Do you think, or was he killed by some kind of extra judiciary well, action by you, the police? If you don't wear a police uniform and you kill someone, uh, we consider that as a as a crime. <laughs> even if <even laughs> the police isn't <laughs> the police yeah. isn't allowed to kill uh, whoever they want. <laughs> But uh, the point I'm making there is, is, but is that someone who's killing him because he knows too much in terms of the Brabant Vallon gang's activities? 
i.e. by other members of that gang who do kill people, mm-hmm. or, or do you think he was killed by the, the forces of law and order? No, or no certainly I... not the forces of law and order, no. Okay, great. That's interesting. Because we're trying to, I'm trying to develop a picture of what may have happened to the giants as well. Mm-hmm. It's not the only uh, suspicious uh, killing in this case. We had at least two others just after release uh, were dead. Uh, I have another question. Uh, is there, uh, obviously, there is a DNA sample or fingerprints uh, from uh, from the case in Belgium? Is there? Am I right? Um, there is just one um, DNA uh, trace, um, and it's one of these um, uh, crimes that are attributed attributed to the Brabant Wallon killing. It's the execution of a taxi driver back in 1982. It was just someone in Brussels uh, took a taxi, asked him to drive to Mons, which is a one-hour drive. And in Mons, um, when the guy had to pay the taxi driver, he just shot him in his head. The ashtray of the taxi was full of full of um, cigarettes with DNA. With later on, they they got they found DNA on the cigarettes. But um, once again, the killing happened with a gun that was used by the two by the Brabant Wallon gang. Um, is this enough to? Who concludes that this is a crime from the Brabant Wallon, from the gang of the Brabant Wallon? I, I don't know, but it's, the taxi driver is officially on on the list of uh, of victims. Hmm. Yeah, I was asking because uh, obviously there is uh, DNA of the gentleman of Heligoland because his body was exhumed uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, there was a complete DNA retrieved uh, from uh, from his body. So on our side, let's say, of the case, there is a DNA uh, sample to compare something with. But my question was, is there any DNA on, evidence on, on your side? On so this to- side, it's, it's, uh, it's very sad to say um, at the last attack, the, the giants, he wore a hat. The hat fell on the ground when, when, he, when he left. The hat would have been a perfect source of ADN, not from just one possible gang member, but from from, from the giant. The, the hat went through several hands of policemen and uh, it's considered unusual for any further DNA investigation. This is not the only moment in the, during the Brabant Wallon investigation where things went terribly wrong. There was one of the other cars left behind. Um, they knew how to hide, um, to, to eliminate fingerprints, but they didn't know about DNA because DNA didn't exist. So this car might have been um, another source of, of DNA, but they just sold the car. They just sold it to to some, some it's unbelievable. It, it is unbelievable. But just coming back in terms of this, uh, the idea that, Potentially, there could be a relationship between an extraordinarily tall man being found washing up near Heligoland and the very, very tall man, extremely tall man involved in these killings. Presumably, or it sounds like nobody's put those two things together in terms Mm -hmm. of the contact between Germany and and Belgium in terms of just establishing whether these two things can be connected. That does not seem to have been made. Are, are, Are you... 
from your perspective, does that connection not seem to have been made either? Well, I asked specifically before uh, answering you. I called the the head investigator uh, of the of the Brabant Wallon case between 1995 and 2011 or 12. Um, he had never heard of the the gentleman of Heligoland. It was completely new information for him. Well. It's it's been fascinating, and it's been fascinating to hear your account of the work you. How long have you been involved in this case, Douglas? Is it about about twenty years. Do I understand that correctly? No, it's even more. <laughs> I wow. think it was from nineteen ninety nine. So yeah, like twenty four, twenty five years. Wow. Before there was another criminal reporter who was was a real expert, and then there was another big crime, and he focused on that crime. So I earned the. The cover, the, the the coverage from a, another crime reporter. And do you feel, do you feel there's any progress really being made in the case in Belgium? I mean, what's your gut feel about the the police activities in terms of are they moving this forward in any way? Do you think? No, I'm very, I'm rather pessimistic because. Um, uh, sounds to me like they've already started looking for a needle in a haystack if they've dug up over 500 bodies for DNA checks. Yeah, that's that's indeed what, what is happening. Um, I can understand their, their, their reasoning that they want to real, have real scientific proof, but um, yeah, you just have some cigarettes in an ashtray of, we, of, we, of which we don't even know, can be sure that it can be linked to the Brabant Wallon gang. What's really unusual about this is that someone of that height stands out. And one would imagine in a relatively small country like Belgium, mm -hmm. the criminal underworld kind of must have known him. Or does that kind of suggest that he wasn't Belgian at all? That he was that he actually may have come from a different European location? What we know is that he's, the guy spoke French. Um, I interviewed several victims, and they all say yes. It was they, he spoke French, but um, was this French French? Was this Walloon French? Was this uh, because there are different uh, dialects? And, um, no one, no one says something about it. It's just say he, he spoke French, so that he could perfectly be a French a French killer. He could perfectly come from Switzerland or from Canada. Um, you just said a very interesting word there, Douglas. Canada. Yeah. Of course, the tie we think may have may have been Canadian. Yeah, I read I read that uh, or I heard that on the, one of the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, I don't Isn't know. Interesting. It's pure speculation, of course, but the assumption that the, the giants would be a Belgian, a known Belgian criminal, that would be strange because as you say, people a guy of that I hate. Would, would be recognised immediately by other gangsters. Yeah, you're right. Okay, but the picture that was that was reputed to be of him, and that's from a very very good source indeed. That man was an extraordinarily tall man as well. If if that picture is correct. Yeah, and as far as we know, the reason why uh, Michel Hibert, the guy of Westland New Post was offered this picture 
in as far as far as I can analyze how it happens, it was given to him by a person who wanted, who saw him as someone who would bring it to the police. Douglas, that was uh, absolutely fascinating. Uh, I wish you every success in your your very long term project. Uh, it's a great podcast. I'm, I've been listening <laughs> one episode every day. Well, thank you, Douglas. I appreciate it. And uh, we very much appreciate your contribution to it. I've got a feeling these two these two individual cases may run alongside each other for a while. I think there's certain things about what you've been uncovering in relation to this case, which suggests there may be a connection and we need to dig as deep as we can. Yeah, to- but my, my question would be... <laughs> How you how are you going to um, to prove it if it if it would be the same giants? I think if there's evidence, one of the important evidences is this this asymmetry in the face, this crossbite. Mm-hmm. If that picture is shown to someone who specialises in facial reconstruction, and that person says there's clear evidence that this person had a crossbite, mm-hmm. and we do have. Well, I think we have the skull of the gentleman. There's some suggestion that may have gone missing. But I think we have the skull of the gentleman of Heligoland. Those two things, I think, are the connection here. That Mm -hmm. photograph that comes from a relatively strong source and which shows an asymmetrical man facially and his skull. Those that's at the moment the closest things we can put together. Then mm-hmm. we suppose we'll be talking about DNA and things like that. But I appreciate we don't have the the DNA of the giants, but it might just be about the physical attributes of him that connect these two people. But hey, it is going to be a really, really difficult thing to do. And I just repeat, uh, it's good you do you do this, but in fact, it would be the, the work of the police, the Belgian police, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But, uh, you're right. It'd be far better if the police did it, but then there'd be nothing for us to do. But okay, Douglas, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Magdalena. Thank you for getting in contact with Douglas in the first place and making that connection happen. That's been a fantastic thing to do. Thank you for listening wherever you are in the world welcome to the gentlemen of heligoland family particularly if you're a new listener and it's worth reminding you if you want to get in contact with us please do so we're interested in your thoughts and your theories and where you're listening in the world our email address is the gentleman of heligoland at gmail.com the gentleman of heligoland at gmail.com or of course you can always reach us via the Facebook page run by Neil DeVille, which is who was the gentleman of Heligoland. You're probably already on there anyway. So, we've got a highly violent criminal of at least six foot five inches in height who is part of a gang whose members have a habit of being killed soon after they emerge from prison or are back in society again. And on the face of it, This man seems to share some of the facial characteristics that the gentleman may have shared. And his crimes were perpetrated along the coast from Heligoland, and from where a body would naturally drift to. I have to say, 
we are intrigued. Now the latest picture of the Brabant killer giant seems to be the key for us. We know that it came from an excellent source and we know that the police think it's their big hot lead. So because we don't have DNA, that seems to be the route that we can use to link these two men. But that's for next time. So until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis.